0: Sure. Uh, okay. Thirteen twenty-four. That's right. We're going to be in First Corinthians fifteen, uh, verse twenty through twenty-six. First of all, I wanted to, to uh, as you know, this is First Fruits Sunday, uh, First Fruits morning, and we always have what the Lord gives us is what we have every year. Some years it's like this, and some years it's like this. And So um, no complaints on our end. We do what we can, and we trust the Lord for the rest. But there's an interesting picture he showed me this morning in this, uh, in this short wheat. <clears throat> if you can see this little taller stuff that's got the little side seed pods, we call those wild oats or cheat. And it's like a weed that comes up in the wheat. in years when it's pretty dry and the wheat's pretty thin, the wheat doesn't shade it out and so the picture I saw in that this morning as I was gathering this was oh my word what a picture that is of us when things are tough and we have tough seasons these things can come up in us this doubt, unbelief, not trusting the Lord can begin to come through those tough times and uh, we have to continue to trust him to bring us what he brings every year every day and every year and uh, I look forward to today's message, and uh, I look forward to this every year because it reminds me that we can't make this happen. I can put all the seed in the ground that I want to, I can't make anything grow. It's all from Him, and so uh, it's all about the Lord today. <clears throat> all right, we have an awesome scripture this morning about that too, about first fruits and some of Paul's writings. And as far as I know, bless Him. We have nobody to mention for uh, prayers today. Thank you for that. All right. But now Christ has risen from the dead has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, and by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to god the father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet the last enemy that he will destroy is death amen what an amazing scripture let's pray Lord, we just bless you for the day. Uh, this, the pictures you show us and things around us and, uh, wow, that we can depend on no other but you to destroy death. You're amazing, Lord. We, we just give you all glory and honor. And, Lord, help us not complain for what some seasons look like in our life, but to just continue to trust in you with all we have, with all of our heart, with all of our soul and with all of our strength, Lord, every day thank you for the pictures that we see in, uh, in first fruits how Lord Jesus you did resurrect never to die again you remain there by the father bless you for that and we trust in that and we look for the day when you will put death the, the final enemy down thank you Jesus for today and I pray God your spirit would be welcome to reign and rule in our hearts today In your holy name, we pray these things. Amen.
1: The gates and doors were barred and all the windows fastened down. I spent the night in sleeplessness, and rose at every sound half in hopeless sorrow half in fear the day would find the soldiers breaking through to drag us all away then just before the sunrise I heard something at the wall the gate began to rattle and a voice began to call I hurried to the window I looked down into the street expecting swords and torches and the sound of soldiers' feet. But there was no one there but Mary, so I went down to let her in. And John stood there beside me as she told us where she'd been. She said they've moved him in the night and none of us knows where. Oh. The stone's been rolled away, and now his body isn't there. So we both ran to the garden, then John ran on ahead. And we found the stone, an empty tomb, just the way that Mary said. But the winding sheet they'd wrapped him in was just an empty shell. And how aware they'd taken him was more than I could tell. Oh, something strange had happened there, just what I did not know. John believed a miracle, but I just turned to go. Circumstance and speculation couldn't lift me very high because I'd seen them crucify him. And then I saw him die. Back inside the house again, the guilt and anguish came. Everything I promised him just added to my shame When at last it came to choices I denied, I knew his name So even if he was alive, it could never be the same Then suddenly the air was filled with a strange and sweet perfume Life that came from everywhere drove shadows from the room. Then Jesus stood before me with his arms held open wide. And I fell down on my knees and I just clung to him and cried. Oh, but then he raised me to my feet. And as I looked into his eyes, love was shining out from him like sunlight from the sky. Guilt and my confusion disappeared in sweet release And every fear I'd ever had just melted into peace
2: Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over the spiders. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the dead. Christ is risen.
3: Please place. glory to his name glory
4: good morning what a great day it is and a great day to come and worship and a great day to understand God's truths and what he has to share with us today again I love teaching on God's fruit I'm sorry <laughs> God's feast and seeing um, the understandings that he wants us to grab hold of and and originally, as I was titling this message yesterday, I, um, I entitled it First Fruits, the True Resurrection Story. But this morning, when I got up and was studying with the Lord, He gave me a little deeper understanding of even that. He said, It's really Deb, it's First Fruits, God's resurrection story. And I thought, oh, that is so exactly how it is. It is the true story because it is his story. So today I want to uh, begin with his understanding out of Leviticus as he comes to help us understand first fruits. So if you'll turn with me to page 139 in the church's Bible. We'll be in Leviticus 23. Page 139, Leviticus 23, that's where God truly helps to guide us through his understanding of, or our, so that we'll have understanding, but his direction for his feast, to celebrate his feast. So starting in verse 9, it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel. And say to them, when you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil. An offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. First fruits. A couple of things to just help us to understand. We see that first fruits is following. The first few verses, which we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, that talk about Passover and unleavened bread. And it's so important that we see this in the order that God is giving it because what it tells you is that you can't get to first fruits without going through Passover and unleavened bread. In fact, you will find that first fruits, as you look and understand it uh, more deeply, you will understand that first fruits is always somewhere inside of unleavened bread. It cannot be a standalone feast. It comes on the heels of Passover and in the middle of unleavened bread somewhere. In fact, we talked a little bit about this over the last couple of weeks is that if you read in the New Testament where in the gospel they are talking about Passover, oftentimes they use the name interchangeably. They use the name Passover and they oftentimes mean Passover, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruits. Sometimes they call it Unleavened Bread, and they actually mean Passover, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruits. They saw it as one celebration to the Lord. I think that is so powerful to understand, because oftentimes in our churches today, we have the idea that it's just about Resurrection Sunday. It's not just about Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday is a part of God's plan that he helps to define in Leviticus through Passover, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruits. A couple of things that I want to point out that through this reading that we've just looked at here is that it says in verse 10, it says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into The land. When you come into the land, what God is telling Moses to tell the children is they won't actually have a celebration for this feast until they come into the promised land. So while they're in the wilderness, they will not be celebrating first fruits. It's only when you come into the land. So what is it that God is saying to us about that? The picture here is that coming into the land is that place of coming into salvation. You see, the first fruits celebration is only for believers, only for those who come into the land. So you can come and celebrate the rituals, if you will. You can come and proclaim words of first fruits. But you truly cannot celebrate first fruits until you are a follower of Jesus and have come into the land. And then in verse 11, it says, He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord. So they went out into their fields, and they would, as Bill was talking about, and I love that God would allow us to have someone in the, in our church that has wheat that grows every year, and uh, to help us to understand what's going on. So every year, as Bill was saying, he brings us so graciously these... Um, Bunches is what I'd call them, and uh, bunches of wheat for us to wave to understand. So they would go out in the very first few days of first fruits, or on, not on the first few days, on the day, on the day of first fruits, they would go out into their harvest, and they would find the fruit that was the very first ones to come up. And they would pluck this fruit, this harvest, this wheat. Uh, By the way, this is wheat, but they actually, this was a barley harvest in Leviticus. But Bill and I have talked about this. We don't have much barley in Texas, so uh, we have to look at wheat. But it looks similar, similar to wheat, but they were growing a barley uh, and harvesting at this time of the year, and they would go out, they would pick the first few bunches, and they would bring it to the priest on the day of first fruits. And the first thing the priest would do is he would go and he would wave it before the Lord, asking the Lord to accept this offering. And the understanding that they had through this place was that they would be trusting, as Bill was telling us earlier, in that the Lord would provide the rest of the harvest. He would bless the harvest. In fact, the first thing they did is so different than how we do sometimes. We receive things from God, we immediately put that into our own desires and our own needs and our own wants. And and then we don't have to trust that God will provide what we don't have. But they actually came in a place, they would pluck these off. These are now worthless. They're not ready to be harvested. They're not ready to be cooked or, or used to make bread. They're actually only brought as an offering for the Lord, and so they have no physical value to the one that is plucking it off, but they are willing to give the very first thing that could be a harvest to the Lord, trusting that He will bless the rest of the, the rest of the crop if they would give the first amount. So that's what's kind of going on here is that they would come and they would wave this before the Lord as a thanksgiving offering. Rebecca was praying for us this morning and in this place of saying thank you, Lord. Thank you for our understanding. Thank you for this place, that for the things that you have done, that we can come to this place of first, fu- first fruits only because of what you have done for us. So also, I want you to look at a couple of other things in this verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 12. It says, and he shall weigh the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on behalf on the day after the Sabbath. This is a real important place as well to understand this day to do this is always the day after the Sabbath. Now, some people believe that this is actually talking about unleavened bread. It's not talking about a high Sabbath. It doesn't say a high Sabbath. It's not talking about a high Sabbath. It's talking about a Saturday Sabbath. So first fruits... Is always on the day after the Sabbath, the Saturday, following Passover. So Passover happens, unleavened bread begins, and then this is the Sabbath happens, and then the day after that. So first fruits is always on the first day of the week, on Sunday. You know, you may know this, but the Jewish understanding, the uh, the Hebrew understanding of numbering the days was to begin with, they would say the first day of the week, the second day of the week, the third day of the week. They didn't have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Those are actually days that were given through um, Greek understanding and pagan understanding, actually, that we now call our days of the week. So they were not looking at this as a Sunday, but rather this would be the first day of the week after the Sabbath. So first fruits will always be on a Sunday, which I think is a, an interesting place as we continue to see the things God's going to show us. Then in verse 12, it says, And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering. So on first fruits you still have to have a burnt offering, a lamb. We see the picture and the understanding of Passover, the lamb is given and that place of uh, the lamb is given for your sins. That's what the burnt offering was. It was a peace offering that was uh, used as a offering to make peace between God and mankind. And, of course, it's the picture of Jesus as our Passover lamb who makes peace between us and God. Then it says to bring a grain offering, and it talks about the fine flour mixed with oil. What is this? Unleavened bread. So we see that you have to have this Passover, this burnt offering, this lamb that comes and is the sacrifice for your sin. And then we come into having to have a grain offering to come into this place of worshiping first fruits. You have to come with a grain offering. That is the place of unleavened bread. That's where we are right now as we are participating in unleavened bread, which is a picture of, of Jesus' life without sin. But it's also a place that we are to eat of that. We've talked about this in Unleavened Bread. It's not enough to just not eat the leaven for the days of, uh, seven days of Unleavened Bread, but you actually have to come and eat of Jesus, walking as he walks, doing what he calls us to do, being who he wants us to be, participating in the Unleavened Bread. Then it goes on and it says also to have a drink offering, a drink offering. And we see this again in his understanding of the wine representing his blood. Verse 14 says, You shall neither eat bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations so this is a statute forever throughout all of our generations this is a place that God intends for all of us to keep first fruits offerings so the thing I I want to um, highlight in this place of first fruits today being the first fruits because it is the day after the sabbath after passover That's why we're celebrating it as first fruits. Some people call this day Resurrection Day. It's true, as we're going to continue to look at the things in Jesus and see the fulfillment of that. But I want you to think about something before we leave here. This is also the day that most of the world calls Easter. Easter. God has just laid out how this would be. In fact, he has defined completely when it is that we would celebrate first fruits. And if you would notice here um, that it tells us exactly when to celebrate this on the day after, but you actually have to go back to verse 5. So if you look up here in verse 5, It says, on the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. On the 14th day. So here's what God is telling us. How do you get to the 14th day? Well, you've got to start at day one. How do you know when day one is? Well, if you continue to read through Leviticus, it tells you that they actually had a celebration on the first day of, of the month, that declared this is the new month. This is the month. And so on the first day, you start with day one, and you count 14 days, and that brings us to Passover, right? Then on the 15th day starts unleavened bread. But the thing about it is, then first fruits is the Day after that Sabbath. So you go to the next Saturday, and then the day after is going to always be first fruits. That's God's calendar. That's how you determine first fruits. But if you look up on the internet and find out how to actually se- uh, determine the day to celebrate Easter on, it would tell you that Easter is on the first Sunday following the full moon following the spring equinox the spring equinox is the big place to begin to figure out what day we would celebrate Easter on that the world would celebrate Easter on and so as you can see in this there's no place of Jesus There's no place of God's word. Rather, it starts with the spring equinox, which is a pagan holiday that honors gods and goddesses for new birth, for spring. So sometimes people come to me and say, why is it that you're so against Easter? Because it's a pagan holiday. And people say, no, we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And I want you to look and see, as we've talked this morning, this has no place of Jesus, of biblical truth, or of God's plan. Rather, it's a pagan-rooted holiday, and it's clear to see. You really don't have to go any deeper into understanding about it. You can see very clearly how it is determined when it's going to be. I was looking up a few things, though, yesterday, and... uh, just happened to notice, and I thought, Lord, you're so fun how you just each year show me something else that I can understand more deeply. And something came up because I was, I was looking up this place of Easter again to make sure I was telling you exactly right of how it is. And this thing came up that said, um, on this day of the spring equinox, okay, is a day that in Yucatan, Mexico, there is a big celebration around what looks like a pyramid and it has a snake-like shadow that always appears at the time of the spring equinox and it crawls down the levels of the pyramid on the flank side and they Celebrate this as a tribute to the serpent god, Kulan. I just thought that is so interesting within itself. Turn with me to... John 20, it's on page 1249. While you're turning there, I want to remind you of something that every year I think I come right here and talk about this place, but I think it has such great understanding that I want to remind you again, but many years ago when God began to teach me about these places, one of the first things he said to me is he said, Deb, I call my shots. How many of you have heard me say that? I know you have, and uh, he said, I call my shots, and that was an understanding I kind of had a little bit of a grasp on because I remembered that as a young child, we used to play basketball and we would play horse or pig and you would get in a particular place and you would say, I can make it from here. And then you would, and I couldn't make it very many times from there, but the people I played with oftentimes could. And uh, so this was a place where you call your shots You would come and place it here, stand here, and say, I can do this, watch this. And then they would throw it and be able to make their shots. And God says, I call my shots. And he began to help me understand, even then, that this is what prophecy is. Is it's God calling his shots, And so the place that is so powerful to me is that as we come to see a place of first fruits, 1,500 years later is being fulfilled in Jesus. So if you turn with me, as as we said, to uh, John 20, on page 1249, verse 1. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb early and she sees that the tomb that the stone has been rolled away from the tomb. Many, many people use this place right here to determine some ways that they will worship Easter Sunday. It's on the first day of the week. It is. But here's the thing, and they also use this place where it says early to oftentimes talk about having a sunrise service anybody in here ever been to a sunrise service for Easter yeah a few of you have oftentimes this is a huge thing to have a sunrise celebration on Easter morning and the thought is because of this scripture right here but some things I want you to understand is that is not what it says and so what, um, what we've read into it is not what's going on here. So I have a little handout, and I have a um, screen, a, a slide on the screen, I think that we're going to start out with. And the first thing that I want you to look at, we've got several pages coming out. But while those are being passed out, I want to share with you something that God began to show me many years ago, and I've shared with many people, but oftentimes people just excuse this situation, and that is, is is Easter about truly about the Messiah? And I would tell you that Easter is not about the Messiah of the Bible. Why would I say that? Is because Jesus has to be in the tomb three days and three nights according to the Bible. And we're going to look at that, and we're going to see. But our story with Easter is that Jesus died on Friday, Good Friday. How many of you have heard it called Good Friday? I'm telling you, everybody, everybody talks about Good Friday. And then he was raised Sunday morning but there's no way that that will work and fulfill God's prophecy of being in the grave three days and three nights. So if he died on, on Friday, as Good Friday so represents, then Jesus is in the grave Friday night, Saturday, Saturday, Saturday night, so that's two nights, one day, and raised Sunday morning. Most of my life, I knew it didn't add up, but everybody said it was the way it was. So I just accepted it. And never questioned it, but a few years ago, as God began to help us to understand, He also began to help um, help us to see that is not His teachings, and it represents a Jesus that is not of the Bible. So in this illustration, you you have a handout because I want you to have this. It's easier to see maybe than up here. But, Raj, would you dim the lights just a little bit, please, so that we can see this a little better, too? And uh, thank you. Perfect. That's that's awesome. So this is a a chart that kind of helps us to understand when Jesus did die. So on the 14th day in the year of 30 a.d it would have actually fallen on a wednesday now we know that in jewish and hebrew understanding the evening comes first and then the day right everybody remembers that the evening first so on wednesday evening would have been the night that he is celebrating Passover with his disciples. Then on Wednesday, Jesus is actually nailed to the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning on Wednesday, on Passover in the year 30 A.D., Then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus died on what is called Passover or preparation day for Passover. Passover is actually not a day, it's an event, and the event and the meal take place at sundown. But this is called preparation day, and it's oftentimes throughout the Bible called Passover for that day. So Jesus died on the preparation day of Passover at 3 o'clock. But that night, they had to take Jesus down off of the cross before sundown because there was a high Sabbath starting at sundown. And that would be unleavened bread. So Passover meal would be happening for the Jewish people, but unleavened bread is the high Sabbath. So he had to be taken down, and he was put in the grave then on Thursday evening. That's now going to start unleavened bread, and he's in the grave, Thursday evening and Thursday day. Then on Friday, he is in the grave, Friday evening and Friday day. Saturday, he's in the, eve- in the grave, Saturday evening and Saturday day. Jesus died on Wednesday, not Friday. that was all changed with Constantine. And it's not biblical. It was changed, and one of the papers that you have talks a little bit about Constantine, and I have some other uh, deeper understandings, if you're ever interested, to this place that I have researched for years. But Constantine basically changed these places so that, the Christians and the Jewish people would no longer be following the ways of the Jewish people. His, I'm sorry, the Christians would no longer be following the ways of the Jewish people. He's very uh, against the Jewish people because he says they are the ones that killed Jesus. So he absolutely will have nothing to do with their celebrations, even though this is God's plan and God's ways. He went against it. So Jesus died on Wednesday, not on Friday, was in the grave Thursday night, Thursday day, Friday night, Friday day, Saturday night, Saturday day, three days, three nights, in the grave. And then Jesus rose on Sunday morning, the first day of the week. That's where we pick up right here. Roger, you can bring the lights back up a little bit, please. Thank you. In John 20, verse 1, and it says, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. While it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb Mary went early so oftentimes this is where people get this sunrise service thing this this actually this word is proi p r o i proi and it actually means the third watch so The Hebrew understanding was not in times like we think of times, but rather in watches, and they would watch through the night. So this is the third watch. A little later than this time, they actually divided the night up into four watches. But this time, it is um, at the third watch, and that time would actually be somewhere between 3 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock. So Mary Magdalene went to the tomb on Sunday morning sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It was dark. But Jesus was gone. What time did Jesus? rise we don't know the bible doesn't tell us we're going to read a little more here and i want you to watch for that it doesn't tell us it only tells us that she goes at this time and the tomb is empty he has risen so let's continue to read here verse 2 says then she ran and came to simon peter and to the other disciples whom jesus loved and said to them, They've taken they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, and they were going to the to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple out round Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also and saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to the Father, and your Father, and my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day that evening, uh, that's, I'm going to end right there. So, um... So Mary goes to the tomb on the first day of the week, early in the morning, but the tomb is empty. So what time did Jesus rise, we do not know. In fact, what we do know is that he was in the grave for three days and three nights. At, at Saturday night, that would end, Saturday night would end at sundown. And Sunday morning actually starts. So he could have ridden at sundown 01. Somewhere we have this idea that he rose in the early mornings. That is not what the Bible says. It says Mary went to the tomb in the early morning. And Jesus' body was gone. So what time he rose, God hasn't told us. So we have to be careful about adding to these places and, and seeing exactly what the Bible is telling us because he is fulfilling first fruits. You can see that he rose on the first day after the Sabbath. Let's look at that in Leviticus 23. If you want to, you can hold your mark, put your marker on John and we'll come back maybe to that in just a second. But go back to Leviticus 23. Uh, Page 139. In verse 11, it says, And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on behalf on your behalf, on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. On the day after. All right, I want to give you a couple of more scriptures to look at right here. Um, let's look at Matthew 12. I meant to give you this a little bit earlier, but I don't want to lose it. Matthew 12 on page 1125 Starting in verse 38, it says, uh, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. God has to fulfill the sign of Jonah through Jesus. Jesus has to be in the belly of the earth, in the heart of the earth, the same three days and three nights. He calls his shots. Not only is he fulfilling the sign of Jonah, but he's fulfilling first fruits. So, as the priests come out to wave their wave offering on the 18th day, how do I know that? Because it's the day after the Sabbath, after the Passover. As the priests come out and wave their first fruits before the Lord, asking the Lord to receive the offering, Jesus ascends. Do you remember a while ago? Go back to that uh, John you were holding your page there. John 20. I just want you to see all these places. They have to be biblical. Jesus is has to fulfill the things that God says, right? So on page 1249, John 20, in verse 17, he says to Mary, he says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But he's about to. And say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Yes. He says, Don't touch me yet, Mary. I'm the spotless lamb. I am the Passover lamb. I am the offering. But not only am I the Passover offering, I'm also unleavened bread. I fulfilled unleavened bread. And I am first fruits. And I'm going to be ascending just at the time that the priests are waving the first fruit offerings Asking the Lord to bless the harvest, Jesus rises before the Father. He ascends to the Father and he says, Father, accept my sacrifice, my offering, and bless the harvest that is to come. That's the Messiah. Paul writes, in, and Bill read this, I love this scripture this morning as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, look on page 1324. Bill read this, let's start in verse 20. Says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, he's rising first afterward those who are in christ at his coming and then he goes on to say and then those who remain will meet him in the air remember God, christ is the first fruits he had to rise first to fulfill god's feast god's feast tell the whole story of the gospel Jesus died on Passover. He was buried on unleavened bread. Remember when unleavened bread started? He was buried. And he was raised on first fruits. God calls his shots. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, our last scripture that I'm going to leave with you. It's on page 1334. four. Second Corinthians 11. The troubling thing about Easter is most of the world celebrates it today. Christians, non-Christians. The Christian world celebrates Jesus without celebrating Passover or Unleavened Bread. That's unbiblical. Unleavened bread is a time of repentance. Passover is a time of repentance, of seeing our sin, of recognizing we need a Savior because of the darkness that we're in. That's Passover. If you celebrate Easter and you haven't come to the place to understand Passover and unleavened bread... Resurrection seems great. But what I want to remind you of is that first fruits is only for those that have come into the land, it's not for everybody. You have to come into the land. What troubles me most about Easter is that it deceives many people. It teaches a Jesus that's not of the Bible. Paul knew this would happen in many different ways, and he speaks of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. He says, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which we have not received, I'm sorry, a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. He's saying if someone comes even himself he says even me if any if I come and I'm preaching anything other than what I've told you you may you may join in with it you may put up with it a different Jesus a different gospel it may be accepted He goes on to say in verse 13 he says for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into, a, the apostles, into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Those are strong words that Paul writes. They're not my words. They're Paul's words. But he is saying that you have to be very careful, church, to watch for truth, to guard truth, to see that everything that is taught is in alignment with the Bible. Because how can you trust in the words that we teach If they don't align with God's prophecies and the fulfillment of his words, how can you trust in anything else? You see, I think what Paul is saying is it's Satan's plan. He transforms himself into an angel of light, and it looks so good. So I pray today that as the world celebrates this day of Easter, a pagan holiday, and tries to wrap it in God's word, that you would stand against such. And I pray your heart would pray for those around you that may not understand truth yet, that their eyes would be open. Our church does not want to condemn those who are practicing what they do not understand. Our church wants to be a light that uses these opportunity to bring truth and freedom to the captives. Stand with me, please.
3: to bring us peace